Hi everyone, it's Tim, your friendly neighborhood inclusionist. Some of you know that I've been producing this podcast, Think Inclusive, since 2012. And since then, podcasting has evolved, especially in the last few years. Video podcasting is all the rage. And while this podcast for the foreseeable future will always be audio, we'll be using video more and more as we plan for our next season, starting in September of 2024. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not reading this from a script. <laughs> this is exactly my process when I produce the audio podcast. All this to say is that for this episode, we're trying out a video version, which will be posted on our YouTube channel. Oh, and by the way, if this is your first time hitting play on Think Inclusive, welcome. We are glad you're here. On Think Inclusive, we bring you conversations about inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. Are you a teacher in a special education classroom? Have you ever thought maybe there's a better way to support learners with disabilities than to segregate them in separate classrooms? Our guest this week struggled with this exact question. If you want to hear his story of how love transformed his classroom and practice, keep listening. Dr. Andrew Goff was an educator of children with and without disabilities for 12 years before transferring his knowledge and skills he developed as a teacher to work as a researcher, author, and college professor. He holds a bachelor's in child psychology and a master's in early childhood education, special education from University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. He earned his doctorate in leadership for educational equity with an emphasis in early childhood special education from the University of Colorado, Denver. Every day, Dr. Goff learns more about how to advocate for the inclusion of children with disabilities in society. Love is a Classroom, his first book, shares what he learned as a classroom teacher. But the lessons do not end with this story. Learning and sharing are lifelong endeavors for him. This is what happens when you record on a Wednesday at noon in Georgia. You hear the tornado sirens. In this episode, we welcome Andrew Goff, who discusses his journey from supporting highly specialized class settings to embracing full inclusion in early childhood education. Throughout the conversation, Andrew reveals his insights on why the classroom should be a place of love and growth for all children, regardless of their abilities. He shares a powerful narrative centered around his experience with a student named Javon, eliminating the challenges and triumphs of creating a nurturing learning environment. The discussion delves into the complexities of advocacy within an often rigid education system and the transition to leadership roles that it can influence change. After a short break, my interview with Andrew Goff. And for free time this week, I want to take you on a walk with me as I reflect on this episode. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
Andrew Goff, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks, Tim. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about why love is a classroom. Like, what was the trans transformational moment that that turned you around? You know, you said that at one point you're thinking maybe you know some kids really do need a special classroom with highly trained staff and intensive support. Like, what changed your mind? from that line of thinking to be honest it wasn't something that like it was this aha you know and that's actually i think part of the writing process so when i went into writing this book it was more for therapeutic reasons i didn't expect it you know i needed to process this experience it had been you know three years two years since um you know the passing of javon and I think I was just coming to a place just both professionally and personally where I was like, this is, this is something I need to talk about. And as I started to unpack it, I think I started to be able to articulate the ideas. Now the turning point professionally, because I had said, you know, earlier that I, when I left the self-contained classroom, I, I did say it might be good for some children. I think it was, during the second half of the 2012-2013 school year, when I saw, as I saw how children without disabilities were growing and benefiting from this experience, and even furthermore, how appreciative parents were to see their children being inclusive, but I could see the, the correlation between their child's success and their child being kind to everyone in the class and you know creating a sense of belonging and welcoming javon and welcoming you know the other children of whom i've given new names <laughs> can't remember <laughs> who's who. i'm like wait what did i call them in the book um i when i saw how beneficial it was to children without disabilities how beneficial it was to the families how beneficial it was to the children with disabilities even the children who don't have IEPs, children who are just disabled by the curriculum, I, it became clear to me that no child should be, I mean, this is, in my mind, it was neglectful to not, in early childhood, of all places, not provide children with the opportunity to thrive and grow. And to a certain extent, thinking back to and I can look back on my experiences in the self-contained classroom. And I mean, it was, on many aspects, it was degrading. Like the children at the end of the hall in the classroom, like nobody deserves that. And it reinforces a lot of these internalized messages. I think parents have, you know, bringing their kids to a classroom that's self-contained versus bringing their kids to a classroom that's inclusive. It creates a different level of of energy for me as an instructor, as a as an instructor, thinking college, me as a teacher, mm -hmm. as parents, and so yeah, that turning point was really at the end, or was the middle of the school year, as I saw everybody growing together. If you are listening to this conversation and you're a teacher, and you're like, wait a minute, I teach self-contained, and I don't think it's that bad. Like, I think, like I've been there, Andrew. I know you've been there. Um, I think inherently when like educators want their students to succeed, they want, Absolutely. they want their learners to grow. I, I don't, I've, I've met, a, I guess I say I have met some people like this, but, but like the vast majority, like uh, out of a thousand educators, maybe one or two are going to say, you know, they need to be segregated because, you know, they don't belong, you know, type of thing. It's very much the um, the majority of educators that if they do think a student should be in self-contained, it's not because um, they actually want to segregate kids, you know, like in, yeah. in the, the most negative uh, sense of the of, of the way of, of, of that thinking. Now, it's ableist. Yeah, it is. Um, but just like being racist, <laughs> you know, like those are all baked into um, the experience of being an educator, like we have to fight against that tendency. Absolutely. But 
you know, so I think there's a lot of good intentions going on, even if those Absolutely. intentions are actually harming kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'd say kids and families. Um, yeah. And I think that we think kids first. And I sat down at meetings, those transition meetings into kindergarten classrooms. And it was always, you know, how many minutes and when are we going to mainstream them? That felt good. Like, you know, that was, that was the option. And everybody at that table or everybody who had any kind of true power and agency in those decisions agreed, you know, Hey, they're going to be with their typical peers X amount of time. And that's going to be, that's going to be great for their future. And there weren't other options, you know, it's like, or it didn't feel like there were other options. And I think that's one of the challenges. And especially as in my earlier years of education, when I didn't understand the role of, of advocacy and how to be an advocate, it was here are our options here are least restrictive environments let's just choose from them there was never any questioning why like why are these the only environments for the children and i i think that it came down to the philosophies that were held by administrators philosophies that were held by the school district and i always found it funny ironic more more than funny how even at you know i'm sure it's the same now, but districts, how much they talk about inclusion. And, you know, it's a great talking point. It makes a great, uh, you know, mission statement, all this. But then when it comes down to it, we're still sitting down at tables, say this child should go in this isolated classroom and this child should go in this classroom. And it's not the slightest bit inclusive. Uh, and as a teacher, I just sat back and said, yeah, I mean, I want to keep my job. That's, that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I know that that's very relatable <laughs> to a lot of people listening. Uh, so the student you wrote about in Love is in the Classroom, Jovan, you know, without telling us the book, of course, because there's a lot in there. If someone is, would say, um, Andrew, what's your book about? You know, like, how would you describe that? Hey, give us your elevator pitch for people who are interested, because I, I, I think a lot of people would be interested in this story. Um, so well, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and speak. Oh, Tim, <laughs> so much. <laughs> I know, you know, I had to deal with this over the, uh, over the holiday. I went back to my family, uh, in Wisconsin, huge supporters. They love me. What's your book about? <laughs> I'm like, shoot, I got to work on this elevator pitch. Um, so I, I've sat down and I've tried to, to calculate it. I've got it in writing, but actually like to talk about it uh, is a little bit more difficult. At the end of the day, I think the story, what I want people to know, we can go in, we think we can understand what it means to educate children. And we can have all the strategies and we can have all the knowledge that we think is out there, but there's still always so much to learn. And it's not just learning it from a textbook or learning it from this PD training. What love is, what love is a classroom is about is learning from children, learning from families and learning from within and reflection. I learned so much from the principal at that school. She didn't sit down and give me any lectures. It really, she did more listening than anything. I'd go into her office crying and she would, she would listen to me. Um, but that taught a lot and Javon's mom and how, what she thought about his education, seeing the children respond to Javon. And it is so, there's so much you can learn listening to children and reflecting on what children are saying and looking for the meaning and what they're trying to communicate because there's much deeper meaning often that we can take away from a conversation with children than what's on the surface that's not an elevator pitch <laughs> but that's, <laughs> should i try to make that a little more succinct <laughs> or can you cut that down <laughs> Uh, well, you know, we'll see, you know, I always, uh, so every time, every interview is different, everyone. And, you know, sometimes I'll just, I'll load it into my editor and I'll just start chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And then all of a sudden it, it just, it forms. So I, it's, I 
I always have to take every conversation, you know, as its own unique thing. Um, so that's kind of a, a beautiful thing about this medium. Um, but it, it, it's not always, uh, you know, a straightforward, you know, you just do these 10 steps and then voila, there's a podcast uh, episode. As far as Javon is concerned, Javon came into the school system in, in preschool. Correct. Correct. And, uh, Javon, uh, was a student with, uh, extensive support needs, some medical needs. When he came in, he actually had a, a diagnosis of preschool. What the label that the district designated was preschool with a severe disability. He had a diagnosis from children's hospital, autism, autism mm-hmm. spectrum disorder. He was not, we did not see him. His documentation did not suggest that he had, you know, any sorts of needs that were beyond what we might provide for another child. He had, he was having seizures when he came in, which is not unusual for our students. Um, mm-hmm. We have procedures, but it wasn't, that wasn't the initial, you know, the concern initially was we're working with a child who has autism and who has seizures. It wasn't really beyond that. It wasn't until he started to digress in his development and it actually, there was a, there were several red flags initially, but because of the nature of ASD, autism spectrum disorder, a lot of it we were able to dismiss because his symptoms were a regression in development. He lost his ability to speak. He was losing his um, ability. He didn't socially engage as he had, but unlike autism, he was losing gross motor functioning. He was losing his ability to walk, his balance. Um, And as he started to digress and as he started to lose those motor skills, we sat down, you know, it started out with my teaching assistants and me. We said, I don't, you know, I don't know if this is autism. Like, look at, look at this, you know, we've got all these other children who are on the autism spectrum. There's something else going on here. And because of the seizures he was having and the seizures were increasing, his mom already had him on the list for Children's Hospital to get further evaluations. At that point in time, she didn't see him as a child with autism, you know, that she, it was her son. And whether he had a label of autism or a label of anything else, she wanted to get down to the symptoms. That was what I gathered. And... He said, all right, we, you know, I, as being the teacher I was and the arrogance that I had, I, I just said, you know, I, you need to go and take a look at because of these symptoms. She already had it. Um, so in, in, you know, after evaluations, it became clear that this regression and development was, was something much more than autism. Yeah. And, so, and the, the, the big challenge was how are we adjusting? Um, to these constantly changing conditions in, you know, there are very various other things going on in his family's life. And as teachers, especially early childhood educators, I think that one of our mastery skills, mastered skills is being able to adapt. Like we can create the lesson plan we want to create, but that's never going to happen. <laughs> like it's always, adapting on the fly. That's part of being an early childhood educator, early childhood special educator, I think educator in general. But I mean, in most, most ages, you're not worrying about, you know, what happens when one kid vomits, another kid, you know, two kids have to have their diapers changed. You know, all these things are happening at the same time. And we're in the middle of trying to teach a a lesson on how, you know, what lives in trees. You yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I've, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there. So what's the, uh, what was the challenge as, as the student kept, you know, you know, uh, losing skills, having more and more things that, that needed to be looked at as far as, uh, inclusion. So that what was the team already committed uh, to making this an inclusive learning environment? 
for him or what was, did it take some convincing or how did that go? Yeah. Status quo said, this is no longer an environment for him. Like he's at a point now where he can't be adequately served in your classroom, Andrew, for various reasons. The team in most cases, occupational therapists, physical therapists, school psychologists, you know, they're trained birth through death. They're not, you know, it's not a focus on early childhood. And and so the team wasn't really, I mean, inclusion is something that is, I mean, not overwhelmingly embraced in early childhood, but more embraced in early childhood than anywhere else. I think any other age level, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like early childhood is pretty receptive to the idea. But no, the, the team was not saying we're going to make this inclusive. They were saying, Andrew, whatever you think is best. I mean, you're the you're the teacher here. So if you want to do it, it's up to you. Go for it. And but they didn't have you asked what the challenges were. And we were in uncharted territory. It was, you know, one, his mom didn't know the resources he needed. And then to translate the resources he needed at home and from the medical community to the resource he would need in a school, I mean, that's not the, that's not the same thing. So what we needed to do, you know, to get the resources to make, you know, to be able to support Javon in the classroom, it was, you know, this is what I need from my physical therapist, here's my, here's what I need to understand from the speech language pathologist. But it was more of me going to them than them coming to me. And that's not unusual, but it did make it challenging because I didn't know what I was, what I was asking for. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah. And and so, you know, I I um I was going to say, I love your title, but love is in the title. I, I found it really difficult. Really so difficult. I'm trying to figure out how to say, I appreciate the title of your book. So here's my question. Um, in the title, love is a classroom. Um, and, and having, you know, having uh, looked at the preview and, you know, and, and, you know, reading your story it seems like um, the love that you had for your student and for your classroom is what made and I'm, it's not just you. I mean, everyone eventually had to, to pitch in, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but um, the love is where creating the inclusive classroom, like the love is, that's where it came from, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think that it was, I came to recognize it as, love later on mm. as a man in early childhood you can't say i love you you can't tell a child you can't even think i i love a child there's too mm. many negative associations with men and affection and especially with young children and mm. so to come to terms um or recognize i should say love uh, in that classroom it, it it was step back 10 years <laughs> and say like that's what it was. It was love that was driving it. Uh, at the time, I think it was more of compassion 
it was you know dignity it was being supportive it was never turning away because i was uncomfortable and plus y times three whatever the mathematical formula it all came down to what was happening there was it was love it was love from the children it was love from the families it was love from me and you know not only is it society's rejection or society's um distaste for men being affectionate toward children it's also that our society doesn't really have a universal definition for love and so i wouldn't necessarily say i would say you have to love your students in order to create the classroom that came to be during that story that i tell in 2012 2013 it's it was more about you know those acts of compassion and understanding respect and really embracing what everybody brought to that classroom and not saying i'm at the center recognizing children and families are at the center of this classroom and if i try to drive it i think that was the, that was one of the one of the many lessons mm. was and i've carried that on up to my college classes right now i can't be the center of the curriculum if i'm the center of the curriculum it's not going to be inclusive yeah i think that is a great point uh and when you know when i'm thinking about inclusive schools and the common practices the teacher at the center being the one delivering the instruction and the students are the receivers like it just doesn't it, it doesn't work like that <laughs> like well it, yeah and then i think in early childhood and in most cases you don't have anybody they're, they're not up there preaching they're not up there they're not the sage on the stage but they are the ones creating the lesson plans. They are the ones dictating what we're going to be doing. Here are the standards that are going to be taught. Here's Here are the IEP goals that we need to be able to accomplish. And so even if I went into a typical early childhood classroom, compare that to what's happening in a kindergarten classroom or a first grade classroom, I would say, that's way closer to inclusion. You know, the kids are interacting with each other. They're learning through experience. It's, you know, that looks like inclusion, but still in early childhood, we tend to say, here's the theme of the week. This is what we're going to work on. And that's no, that's no different. Although it's much easier to bridge toward inclusion, but it's really no different than the teacher being the center of the curriculum as the teacher is in the center of the curriculum often in, in, you know, definitely by the time you get to college, it's like, that's just how things work. Right. High school, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. How has the experience that you write about, um, has that changed your teaching practice, you know, after that experience and even now, cause I know that you're, you teach in, um, college or you provide you're teaching educators. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I currently teach teachers how to teach. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a clear line that can be drawn from 2012 to 2023. Um, just in my pedagogical perspective and view on education. That's a whole that that's way too long to actually even get into. But, um, you know, there's, I think a question that's going to arise from this if i'm lucky because this would only arise if people read the book and that is well andrew all right you had that great experience but you left the classroom two years later like that doesn't that doesn't connect why would you hmm. why would you have that experience and then just decide to up and leave two years later and i think you know the line comes into i learned how to i learned the importance of advocating and I learned the importance of leadership. And when I'm looking at from that point in time to right now, when I'm working with teachers who are learning or early child, when working with professionals who are learning how to become high quality teachers, I am always reiterating and talking about leadership. Like it is always going to come down to 
leadership and understanding from a leadership lens, how to be a leader, how to be a follower, putting the children at the center. And, you know, just that lesson that I learned at that point in time, it's pros no, I wouldn't say prosperity. It's been very far from prosperity. I'm not making any money, but, um, you know, getting to the point where my belief system now, what I'm able to teach, the research that I'm looking at now versus the research I would have been looking at before, it is, it's linear from what I learned in 2012 to, you know, the way that I look at things now. To answer that question about why I would leave the classroom two years later, I think that's going to be the subject of my, <laughs> my next book. But so feel free to edit this out. Um, but ultimately I was trying to advocate and I was looking for leadership. And when I was advocating and trying to lead and looking for support from leadership, it ended up backfiring. And so that's not always the route to keeping your job or maintaining a position, but I found home for it in other places. Truth is, though, you know, I recognize the privilege that I've had and that I've been afforded to get to the point that where I'm at. I don't know if yeah. I answered your question at all. Well, you, br uh, you bring up a, a great point about like the tension between being an educator and an advocate. Um, and by advocate, I mean that, you know, you see there's a problem with the way the educational system, it like it doesn't matter what district. It really doesn't. It could be yours, mine, two states over. It doesn't matter. You, you pick a district and there's going to be a problem. And um, the tension between I'm an educator, they pay my bills, I'm supporting a family. Uh, how do I walk the line between wanting to change the system within while also keeping my job? You know, because... Like I lit, uh, I worked in Georgia. Georgia's an at will, was it at will, right to work state? There's no union. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's they. You know, they just fired a teacher in Georgia because they, you know, quote unquote, broke the rules. So, like in in uh, in the district that I used to work in, um, if you cause a, a big enough fuss, they'll find a way to get rid of you. So, you know, how do you, how do you work in a system like that and you're wanting to change things, but also, you know, you, you need to show up to your job every day and you need to like, you know, you have, you have students, you have yeah. faculty, you have, you know, people that are relying on you. So it's a, it's a really tough situation. Yeah, and I see that in my adult learners. They most of them work in childcare programs and they're getting paid minimum wage and it is about survival. They come into these classes and I try to keep things, you know, on a I, I try to approach it from a realistic standpoint of, you know, you there's a leadership hierarchy here. People aren't trained, you know, I mean people just aren't very well trained overall, especially in leadership. But it creates that that real tension of Andrew, you're teaching us all these things that are great about including children and you know strategies for guidance in the classroom and X, Y, and Z. But I get to the classroom and my teaching assistant doesn't understand what I'm talking about. My administrator is pulled in every single direction. The teachers next door say mean things about me because I'm pursuing my education. So they think that I'm, you know, some special person. I think so highly of myself. And so they come to me and it's like, how do I do this? Like, how can I take what you're teaching and all this stuff that research, all these ideas that research tells us is going to work with children? What, what do I do? And there's never one simple answer and fortunately i know my students fairly well and i can kind of understand i can listen to their angles and what's going on and get to more of the details but it comes down to you know you're not in this to you're not in this for you and focus on on the kids and the families 
advocacy isn't something that has to, you know, one, it's a slow process. Like those changes aren't going to happen overnight. And you can be an advocate in your classroom with the children. You can, you know, just teaching the act of teaching children how to create a learning space where they allow one another to, you know, be leaders and followers and teaching your teaching assistants, you know, small pieces at a time, because one of the things that that is really difficult, I think, that we jump into with inclusion is we try to take these big leaps. Teachers in my classes want to take these big leaps because I share these, you know, here's what my classrooms were like. And it was so incredible. And they're like, Andrew, we want to do that. Um, but it's it's incremental. Yeah. And so start with your own practices. Start with your teaching assistants or start with your teacher. If you are a teaching assistant, start with your families, start with your children. And, you know, the truth is administrators, as long as they don't have to be putting out fires in your classroom, usually they're not going to care. Hone those skills and then become a director yourself, become a leader yourself and put yourself in the position where you can make those decisions. And it's a lot easier to become not necessarily for everybody. It's easier said than done, but it's easier to become a director in a childcare program than it is to become a principal or an administrator in public education or in a school. So, you know, I think there's a little bit more power that, that, that satisfies. Maybe I've just learned how to satisfy my own students. I think they're more satisfied with the idea of I'm going to get more education because I want to become that director and that's inspiring to them. So, yeah, advocacy is not, doesn't have to be seen as I'm, it needs to be the whole system. Because if you try to take on the system, like you were talking about in Georgia, I was in Arizona before this at Will States. Um, they, yeah, I, I could be cut loose at any point in time, but nobody was going to cut me loose for what I was doing to advocate for, you know, what I was doing in my classroom to help children be more inclusive. Um, but there's a lot more to that because I know that there's a lot of scrutinizing what teachers are doing at the K-12 level. That, Espe yeah, so especially now, especially now. Um, yeah. uh, well, you uh, referenced uh, a book you wanted to, well, obviously, Love is a Classroom. You know, go out and get Love is a Classroom, read it, tell Andrew what you think of it. Um, but you also have another book you want to plug, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've admired the work of many folks ahead of me and there are a lot of great people out there who, who have helped guide me in understanding my own practices and love as a classroom is a story that really helped me understand why this is so important, but it still leaves, even when you know your why you yeah, I mean, it's even more frustrating. Like, I know why I want this, but how do I do it? Mm -hmm. And I've, I've been able to turn to the work um, at Inclusive Schooling, um, inclusiveschooling.com, Julie Costin and Christy Pretty fransack And um, they really do a phenomenal job. I mean, I just love their work and how they are able to answer that question of here's what we need to do and here's how we need to do it. And so their book, um, the Way to Inclusion was released a couple months ago, and um, along with all their other work, it is a, a great resource for, there you go, it's right here for me. We're to, holding to it up. We, we both have copies of it on our desk, apparently. <laughs> we'll send this over to, uh, to them and say, hashtag inclusive school. So, you know, it's, their work is always looking at, it looks at leadership. And leadership, not from just the administrators, but leadership around the classroom or around the entire school. I encourage listeners, um, readers of my book to set it down when you're done and say, how do I want to do this? I'm inspired. I want this to happen and know that they can go over to the work at um, Inclusive Schooling and get guidance on how their district, how their school can actually make this happen. After a quick break, the mystery question. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you could install uh, this, well, we'll see. If you could install one piece of advice in a baby's mind, like you're putting a, a, a piece of advice in a baby's mind, what advice would you give? I guess oh, maybe a child, maybe a child. In today's modern era, yeah. What would be the piece of advice? Um, so, is this like planting the seed, like? The, yeah, yeah, like you. Okay. Play, yeah, yeah. I, that's how I'd interpret it. I have a. It's funny because I have a uh, a thirteen year old now and a ten year old, and I, I'm a very active father. And I thought mm. I was instilling all these things in their heads as infants, toddlers, and preschoolers, and now they're hitting adolescence, and I'm questioning everything. I'm like, really? Is, <laughs> is the seed still? I, I feel like the seed has just completely died. Because because they're lovely, they're lovely. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just not seeing the fruits of what I was hoping oh, for no. based on oh, no. all the research I followed. Um, I think the ultimately what it comes down to is is that compassion. Like we are social beings, and you know whether we have no matter what our skills are, I think that we all have the ability to be compassionate, and so I think that you know, not giving me any time in advance to process this. That's, that's the whole point, Andrew. Yeah. yeah. It's like surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Compassion. And I, I say that curiosity too, you know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And live And I mean, there's so much, but yeah, I think I'm looking at, I'm trying to think back to what I did with my daughters and where they're at right now and where there's continuity. And well, so let me get, let me give you yeah. an example because uh, I was I was thinking a lot about this. Uh, my I, I have three. I have a seventeen, an almost fourteen. So almost fourteen tomorrow. But well, by the time this airs, he'll be fourteen. But um, tomorrow is his birthday, and my youngest uh, just turned eleven, and um, my youngest is like, you know how you. I don't know if your kids are like this, but they, a lot of times they just don't care about like your work. Like, Oh yeah, dad's a teacher. Okay. Whatever, <laughs> you know? Uh, but my youngest just in the last couple of years has been like, dad, what do you do? Like, like what, what's your podcast about? Like, what do you talk about? And so, and I've been very much like, I don't talk about work a lot around my kids, um, unless they ask, <clears throat> but she's been very, very interested in 
like inclusion and what that means and disabilities and all this stuff. And so she was uh, joining this, like it was, it's called the helping hands club at her middle school. And she had to write an essay and she wrote the essay and she's like, Hey dad, would you look at it? And so I was looking at it and you know, there's like, just with, when you're talking with anyone about, you know, disability, you know, like the helper versus the helpy and, you know, really we're just trying to be friends, you know? So I was kind of like walking through that with her and I'm like, well, you want to be, you want to be friends with them? Like, well, yeah, yeah. I want to be friends. You know, like, I think that's one of the things that, that, um, I wish that I could like install or implant in kids' minds when, even when I was a teacher is if you see someone that's different or, you know, is, you know, maybe, uh, visibly they have some sort of disability not to automatically think that they need help, you know, but it's more like, how can we honor and how can we just be friends with people just because they're humans, you know? And so I know that my daughter is still learning that and it's like no judgment, you know, like I'm just kind of talking through it and figuring it out. And, and really, I think that's where like her heart is coming from anyways, but that's something when I read that, I was like, I wish that we all could kind of have that, like not just babies, like everybody, like all of a sudden, like bing, (laughs) like everyone sees each other as humans rather than you know, that there's like, well, I'm up here and you're down there. You know what I mean? And I think inherently children don't see the world that way. And I was reminded of this a while back. I saw a child and, you know, I've seen this before. I'm sure I saw it with my other, my daughters too. I saw a dandelion and they picked the dandelion and they said, you know, to their, I'm going to guess it was their grandma. They said to the adult with them, they're like flower. And of course the, adult said that's a dandelion that's a weed and (laughs) it didn't matter at all to that you know to that toddler you know if we look botanically a dandelion is a flower like it it is but we don't see it that way as we've been conditioned and i think that that is where children come from naturally is they don't see things as this category or that category they learn that um, and to hear that message over and over again, <laughs> it's funny because the lesson that I think we taught my daughter, like one of the seeds that we planted for her, my older daughter was, you know, fight for what you believe in. Like, if you feel something, speak up and, um, you know, it, it's push forward, understanding that everybody needs to be treated fairly. Okay. Sounds great with a toddler doesn't work with an adolescent. <laughs> so, like, so, so I have to remind myself, this is what we taught you to do. We taught you to advocate for yourself, to speak up for what you believe in, which totally, totally great away from our house. But when you strongly believe that you need to be wearing a crop top and all this makeup. <laughs> She's advocating for herself in her strongly is, held, held beliefs, dad. She is. So that's not the scene, <laughs> that's not the scene that I necessarily, but you know, as, as I'm reminded, it, it will pay. It's something that's really important. And Absolutely. Tough, tough it out, tough it out, Andrew, because it's part of the journey. Um, so ultimately, yeah, the seed of compassion and I you know, see where that, that grows. Cause I, I do see that in my younger daughter. And yeah, you said about, uh, you know, with, with your younger one that they're curious about, um, your job now. And that's the same way with my younger daughter. She, I put store, I wrote, created stories and I, I put them on YouTube and they're stories from the classroom. I don't think they're any good, but I put them up there. Um, cause I wanted these to be, here are some lessons that kind of go, they, before I wrote the book, these are lessons mm-hmm. that I learned, and they're twelve-minute-long stories. And my daughter just sits there and watches them in awe. And I'm like, "Sweetie, do you like watching these videos?" She's like, "Yeah, they're really interesting." I'm like, "Or is it just like putting you to sleep because of my voice?" She's like, "No, they're interesting. I like them." 
<laughs> She's like, can I read your book when it comes out? I was like, absolutely. You can read my book. That's amazing. That's amazing. Love yeah. that. Andrew Goff, thank you so much for spending time with us on the Think Inclusive podcast. Tim, it has been my honor. Thank you for inviting me on. That chime means it's free time. For free time this week, uh, I'm taking you on a walk on the Noonday Creek Trail um, in Kennesaw, Georgia. This is one of my favorite places to run and walk, spend time with the family. It's a beautiful sunny day. It's probably around 65 degrees. And after I wrap up this recording, I'm gonna be going for a run. I really loved the conversation I had with Andrew because I can totally empathize with uh, being a special education teacher and feeling torn about how vocal to be about wanting to bring inclusive practices to my school or district. That's exactly how I felt. I spent 16 years in public schools and for really the majority of the time, I was at some point trying to bring inclusive practices to where I worked and not everybody wanted to hear it. And for Andrew, I know that he got to the point where he needed to do something else. And that's kind of exactly where I was. I had to decide whether or not to go somewhere else. And that's uh, eventually what I did in 2020 when I joined the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. So if you're a special education teacher in a situation where you want to bring inclusive practices to your school or district, but you just don't know how, reach out, let me know. I'd love to chat with you. Every situation is a little different, but we need to talk to each other because if we keep all of it inside, if there's nobody at our school or district that we can talk to, it gets really lonely and you feel stuck. And when you're an educator, you don't want to feel that way. You want to feel like you're making a difference in the lives of children. So reach out. You can find me on the socials or you can email me at tvillegas at mcie.org. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Think Inclusive is written, edited, sound designed, mixed, and mastered by me, Tim Viegas. Original music by Miles Kredich. Additional music from Melody. Thanks for your time and attention. And hey, if you liked this version of the video episode, at least, let us know. And on YouTube, go ahead and put a comment so that way we know you're listening. Have a great week, everybody. And remember, inclusion always works. I was told I have a friend who's a librarian and... <laughs> uh, she was like, all you have to do, Andrew, is just like put something really controversial or say something really controversial. And then everybody's going to want to read your book to see how controversial it is. Um, it's like, I don't think there's anything controversial. Do you have She's something like, controversial? Well, I maybe in- inclusion is for all. Uh, inclusive education is for all learners seems to be pretty controversial sometimes. From MCIE.